Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. So glad that you guys are with us this morning. If we have not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Matt. I'm the location pastor here in the Northeast. So glad you're with us and those joining us online. Yeah, so glad that you guys are here. Now, if you are new with us, or maybe you've been only coming for a little bit, there's normally a different bald man that's preaching at this time. I'm the, I'm the taller, a little more handsome one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Pastor Joey, our lead pastor, he's typically who's bringing the word um, each and every Sunday morning. If uh, here in the Northeast, we are one of six locations around our city and online. And one of the, what our mission is at the block is to revive every block. And so the way that we do this is we launch neighborhood-driven churches throughout the city and beyond. And part of the cool thing about us here in the Northeast is every week we get to receive the message via Pastor Joey live. But if you notice, we have cameras in the room, and that's because what's preached here is usually streamed to all of our other locations. Why do we do this? Because it keeps us of one accord. It keeps us as one church in all of the different locations. And Pastor Joey is gifted at bringing the word and, and teaching God's word. And by doing this too, it allows us to launch locations all over the place and still be one church in all these different locations. My job as your location pastor is, my job is primarily to shepherd, to care for you, to talk to, to everyone here. And I'm so thankful that I don't have to prepare 20 to 30 hours every week, prepare a message for Sunday. And so I get to spend my time instead focusing on pastoring our location. And so now here's what I want us Northeast to understand about what this means though. Because we get to be the broadcast location and we're streamed to the other ones, that means we have to be proactive on setting the culture because what we do here impacts all of our locations, which is why we got to lead the way with inviting, with, with coming ready to receive the word, coming ready to see all that God does because what we do here impacts all of our locations. Does that make sense? Awesome. Well, hey, I'm excited to dive into the word. Like I said, I don't normally preach, so if you don't like how I go, that's all right. Pastor Joey will be back next week. <laughs> Today, we are continuing our series called POV, which is short for point of view, and we're really unpacking the words of Jesus and what did he mean when he said specific things. This is the perfect series to invite. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than just unpacking the words of Jesus straight from scripture. So continue to invite like crazy. Now, as I, as I dive in, I'm just, I wanna celebrate something. Well, not really. Something special happened to me this month. I turned 33. Here's the thing with 33 that I'm coming to realize. I am officially like in my 30s. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, oh, I just turned 30. I'm not like beginning, like, I got a couple of reps under my belt. I am in my 30s now. And so, but in my head, I'm still in college, man. I'm still living life. And so this became abundantly clear to me as I went on our block guy retreat this week. Who else went to that? Everybody? So cool, so powerful, so much fun. Uh, when we weren't, you know, receiving the word and worshiping and growing, we were basically just having fun, you know, playing ball. I ended up playing a lot of spike ball, which is uh, basically 
like imagine four square and volleyball combined. So essentially, I was moving in ways I don't typically move, even as a parent. So like I'm out here like reaching around, trying to spike, and like I'm in all these like weird poses I don't normally get in. And as I come home from this retreat, my body is reminding me that I'm in my 30s. I'm so sore in so many weird ways. Like I was staying up till 1.30 playing Mario Kart. Normally I got my kids, right? I'm putting them to bed and I'm staying up late. So forgive me if today I'm a little wobbly. I feel that uh, humility that comes from this. What's funny about it though is I went into the retreat on this high. Like I got this, I'm in a rec shop and I'm leaving humbled. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite of how Jesus came to earth because he is exalted on high, but he came on the most low, of circumstances and was ultimately exalted on high. So if anything today, learn from Jesus, not from me. <laughs> so really, and, and the thing is, I love that whole thought because when you think about somebody of influence, when you think about somebody who deserves all glory and all praise, you would imagine the way they would approach is from that posture. But when we look at the life of Jesus, he does the opposite of what our human nature would tell us to do. He came to earth born in a feeding trough in a small town in the desert. Literally the most humble of circumstances, the God of heaven and earth came to meet us where we're at. And in that, he models how for us to live. If the God of the universe is willing to be on the lowest of circumstances, how much more should we not be pursuing accolades, pursuing things for ourselves, but humbling ourselves with Jesus? And so... What if our faith is more about uh, or is not about gaining influence and, and gaining things of this world, but rather what if it's actually about getting low with Jesus? And so that's my title of the message today. We're going to answer the question, how low can you go? <laughs> it was put out there to like use like a, 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 what is it called? A limbo stick or whatever. And I was like, again, in my thirties. No, thank you. So <laughs> anyway, let's dive in. Now, Uh, So we're going to look into Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Uh, Jesus says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, here's the context of of what we're unpacking here. At this point, Jesus's ministry, it's pretty established. Um, He's been talking through the parables about the kingdom of God. In fact, he just... uh, spoke about how the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And he just revealed to his 12 disciples, um, the guys closest to him, that he was going to be delivered to the religious leaders and convicted to die and that he's going to be flogged and mocked and then raised again three days later. Now let's pause for a second. Perhaps we've heard this before, but let's put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. Imagine who you respect most, who you're following, who you believe to be the redeemer of all things, just told you that he is going to die a violent death. He's gonna be mocked and he's gonna be ridiculed, but then defy death. All after talking about humility. That'll be kind of heavy, right? Like the posture that I would respond to him would probably be from a, you know, a a wild stance, right? That's not what happens. (laughs) What actually happens and how the disciples respond is actually hilarious. In verse 20, it says, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, which are two of the disciples, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. 
he just told you something heavy. And he's like, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a favor real quick. In fact, in Mark, it's the same story. Chapter 10, verse 35, uh, it says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Some serious audacity (laughs) to come to Jesus right after he told you this heavy thing. And after he just taught you about humility and be like, yeah, yeah, I need a favor. It kind of reminds me of like when my oldest son, when he's cleaning his room, he gets distracted, right? So I have to go up there and like realign him, you know? I'm like, bro, I told you, pick up all these toys, put them away, put them away, do this and that and this and that. And in the middle of me telling him that, he's like, "Uh uh-huh, can I play the switch? No, you can't play the switch, do the Timing is everything, right? Knowing when to ask something. Clearly, the disciples have no tact here because they didn't just ask. They also brought mom with them. Um, Jesus, I have a favor. It just cracks me up. But what's great about that is that actually gives hope to you and I because it displays what a ragtag group of disciples he had. And if Jesus can use these guys, then he can certainly use you and I. And that's good news for us today. Um, in verse 21, we see how he responds. He says, what is it that you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine might sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, what is she referring to? To sit at the right and to the left speaks to sitting with him in influence and power. What she's essentially asking is, can these guys be your right-hand man? Can they have equal authority or a step below in terms of authority and power. Now, the motivation for this could be a couple of things. Um, Again, it's at the beginning of Jesus's ministry and they're realizing and they're believing that the Messiah, uh, in many of the Jews' minds of that time, they were hoping for a political Messiah or a Messiah that was gonna overturn Rome and restore independence to Israel and and set it forth that way. So they could have been thinking in that vein of thinking, okay, when when Jesus overturns this, I wanna make sure that I've got my dues, you know, I want power. They could have even been fearful about, you know, the turmoil that may have been coming up with following Jesus. And they're just making sure that they get theirs. But the interesting thing is, is that I don't think they understood the gravity of what they were even requesting. And this is true for us too, because a lot of times we come to God with these big asks, right? Like, God, I want this. I'm praying for breakthrough in this. But we haven't actually thought long-term about what that ask actually involves. Because with God granting certain things, it comes with a cost. It comes with additional obstacles. Like, for instance, we're asking God, give me this blessing. Well, with that blessing may come new burdens, We're asking for God, God, give me increase, increase my salary, increase my responsibility. Okay, with that though, comes new stresses, comes new things that you have to steward really well, comes new obstacles. God, give me knowledge. I want more knowledge. Well, with that knowledge comes a responsibility to use that knowledge in a wise way. If we're praying, God, give me kids, that's great. Having kids comes with the cost of raising kids, providing for the kids. We're asking, you know, like things like sex. Sex comes with the cost of connection, both physically and spiritually. It's not a passive thing. We're asking for, you know, a house. A house comes with maintenance, comes with homeowners association, right, Bucks County? (laughs) I got my stoop. That's all I got, man. Like, and it's a different color stairs than my neighbors. That's what I kind of love about it. Anyway. (laughs) But continuing in that, 
With freedom comes new responsibilities in that freedom. There's responsibility that comes with that. With hearing God's voice, often we're like, God, speak to me. I wanna hear your voice. Well, when you hear his voice, you then have to be obedient to what he says. When you hear what he's saying, you have to respond then to what he's speaking to you. If we're saying, God, forgive me, I carry guilt, I feel carry shame. He, of course, he's gonna give you forgiveness, but with that forgiveness means you now have to forgive others in the same way that you've been forgiven. Salvation, freely given to each of us, available to everyone. God, rescue me, make me new. But with that comes service in his kingdom. With that comes with sonship and playing a role in the kingdom of God. When we ask for something, we need to think in terms of what all does this ask entail? And the problem is, is a lot of times we're just reactionary in how we think. Like, I want this, I want this. And we don't think long-term about what it is that we're actually needing in a scenario. Jesus realizes this and recognizes this when he addresses them. He says in verse 22, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. I can't help but read sass in the weekend. Like literally Jesus' quote ends, their quote picks up. We can, the answer is so quick. And I'm going, Jesus is literally clarifying, trying to slow them down. Can you drink from the cup that I drank? They didn't even ask what's in the cup. Like I would wanna know if he's warning me and cautioning me, I feel like we would want, we need to know what that's involved with. And they're just reacting. Yes, we can, I can do whatever. And again, a lot of times, This is how we live our life, reactionary. We're not thinking long-term. Our focus isn't on a direction that God's giving us and we find ourselves reacting. It's like, I want that, I want that. Hey, how come they have that? I want this. It reminds me of like when my son has, uh... no, I'll tell you about this later. (laughs) Talk about my kids all day. But we end up reacting, right? And if we live a life where we're entirely reactionary, we'll never get anywhere on purpose because where we end up is entirely based on what happens to us. And so we end up in a place we never thought we would be because we're living a life just reacting and responding to the things around us as opposed to living with intention and with direction and with focus. So if they had paid attention to this moment, they would be quick to say, hang on, so what's in this cup? And we see that they didn't understand what that was by how they respond later. You see, the cup that Jesus is referring to is the cup of burden, it's the cup of suffering that he was about to face. In fact, it's the same cup that he refers to in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, God, please take this cup from me. It was so heavy that, God, that Jesus is saying, if there's a way, Father, in your will, remove this cup from me. The disciples clearly did not understand what he was referring to because in that very garden, at a time where Jesus needed them the most, they were sleeping while Jesus was praying. And the thing is that we need to understand about all of this is if we're saying, I wanna follow Jesus, I want to pursue him, because you know, I was like, I'm a Christian, right? Well, if we're gonna say that, and if we really are surrendering our lives to Jesus, we need to understand, what does that actually mean? What is the price for doing so? What is it that that means for our life? And if you look at how Jesus lives his life, he lives a life on low, which is ultimately valued on high. He doesn't try to live on high, get all the accolades and all things that he wants. He is the most humble of all and is what, and that is in that humility that he's ultimately exalted. 
You know, when I was in college, uh, me and my old roommate, Thomas, we were like best pals. And we, we did a lot of dumb things, not even like, like irresponsible things, like just literally dumb things, like climbing buildings. And so we kind of had like this mentality, right? Well, eventually, you know, he and I, we, each, you know, we met our wives, we got married, we settled down, we were being a little less stupid, we got employed, it was a miracle. And, you know, um, as we kind of entered this new phase, of life post-college, um, you know, I was working at a church at that time, and he got a job offer at a church in California, and so we were kind of like, man, it's kind of the end of an era. He's like, well, let's do one last hurrah. Let's, <laughs> let's, <laughs> and our hurrah is not the hurrah I think you're thinking, because what we used to do is we used to ride, uh, we used to do long-distance skateboarding and, like, downhill skateboarding all the time, and so we were like, what if we just got on our boards and skated from Shawnee, Oklahoma, 30 miles to Oklahoma City in six-degree weather in January, and that is what we decided to do, and now here's the great thing. We didn't train at all. Like, like literally, it was like I was living my married life, getting that, like, dad bod going, and I was like, let's do this. Saddle up and skate in the cold, and... <laughs> It was brutal. Listen, so like when we took off, it was so cold that the little water hose that I would use to drink water, uh, it kept freezing. So I kept having to like break it so that the water would actually flow through so I could actually drink water. At like the halfway point, he and I were cramping so badly. So like when I'm skating, I'm doing this, right? So this calf was cramping, this calf and this thigh just the whole time. So I'd be like, ah, Like it was, like I'm not gonna lie to you. A good chunk of that skating trip was me carrying the board, like like this up a hill and then hobbling on it and going down. When we were about three quarters of the way through, I saw a a coffee shop showed up called Heavenly Grind, and we were like, "Thank you, Lord. He provides in miraculous ways." But guys, here's the thing: we eventually made it. (laughs) We did it. We skated 30 miles in six degree weather. I don't know if clapping for that's worth it. It's just stupid, really. But, but here's the thing. The goal wasn't simply to go to Oklahoma City, right? That wasn't the goal. I mean, why would you try to do that anyway? But the goal was to bond with my friend. The goal was to experience overcoming something difficult with a friend. And in that, we bonded so much, we made memories. Heck, I get to share this goofy story with you today. And here's the thing that we need to understand. Difficult things are often worth it. And in the kingdom of God, it's so opposite of how we think because things that seem low, seem difficult, seem problematic are usually the very things that humbles us and sets us up to actually have a heavenly mindset. Again, think about Jesus and what he models for us. He's the king of all. And he still chose to come in the form of a servant to serve others. If Jesus, who is perfect and without sin, is willing to do those things, how much more should we be compelled and challenged to do the same? Because what we need to understand, the cup that Jesus is referring to, can you take this cup? It's referring to is the cost, the pain of obedience, right? Because Jesus had to do had to go to the cross in order to save us. In order to create a way for us to experience grace, Jesus had to pay the cost, but there was a significant cost. And Jesus never says that drinking his cup will be easy. In fact, 
he doesn't say it's gonna be easy at all, but he does allude to how it's going to be worth it. And what we need to understand and take away from this is when we pursue Christ and what he's called us to be, when we align ourselves with what he has called us to do, it will come with the cost. It's not just gonna be a breeze necessarily because for instance, when we live in a manner that's contrary to the world, the world will react going, why are you doing that? Or why aren't you doing this? There will be pushback. When we walk in obedience, it means we're also surrendering our preferences. We're surrendering the things that we want to do for the things that perhaps he's called us to do. And even in the smallest thing, we can feel the cost in simple obedience by doing things like, hey, you know, I'm going to sign up to serve on a team and I'm going to get there a little earlier. There's a cost. There's an inconvenience to that. But it's worth it because you get to be a part of what you're experiencing every Sunday. There's a cost to approaching somebody you don't know and trying to invite them to church. I don't know. I mean, is it going to be awkward? Is it going to be weird? I don't know. There's going to be a cost to the obedience, but the outcome could lead to seeing that person's life forever changed and you seeing how God spoke through you to impact somebody else. There's always a guy, like leading a, leading a group. It's an inconvenience to your schedule, taking the time to do something when you might want to do something else, but the outcome is so worth it. There's always a cost. Being a Christ follower is not meant to be convenient and easy, but it's 100% absolutely worth it. And Jesus models this so well. In fact, Jesus tells us what comes with following him. He says in verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my father. Jesus warns them that following me and serving me will come with a cost. And what we actually ultimately see from those disciples is that they do, they continue. And it results in many of them being martyred, dying brutal, painful deaths in their lives because of the cost of following Jesus. And friends, if we're following Jesus, we need to know suffering is probably going to happen. It's implied. But if we notice, God is not afraid of the suffering. And in the suffering, we actually become more like Christ in that our perspectives shift because a lot of it is pruning the things of this world from us. Because if we are pursuing him like him, we are dying to ourselves. In fact, let's look at the image of what being a Christ follower is. At the beginning, you are baptized, right? What does that symbolize? That symbolizes dying, just like Christ died and coming back to life as a new creation. So the toll of following Jesus is absolutely about surrendering ourself, dying to the ways of this world, our sinful nature, our past, our mistakes, and becoming a new creation in Christ, where our focus, our intentionality is around what he has called us to be, how he has designed us to live. Our preferences aside, his preferences above all. It's humbling ourselves and going, I don't have all the answers. Answers. He has all the answers. And so I'm submitted even where I may struggle. I'm submitted even when I don't want to because my life is not mine. My life is his. And what's the craziest about all of this is that Jesus models it for us perfectly. There's nothing, this is what I love about Jesus so much. There's nothing that he asks us to do that he doesn't also do himself. Aren't you thankful for a God that's not afraid to do the very things he's asked us to do? Aren't you thankful that there's nothing that we can face that our God also hasn't faced and can overcome? And it's by his power, we can face all things. Jesus models this beautifully when he says this. When he says, sitting at the right and left is not up to me, but for the Father, 
This is important because it shows us that even Jesus was modeling total submission to the process. Even he wasn't gonna grant that in that moment because he is modeling total submission to the Father's will and the humility to go serve the Father's will. We have to ask ourselves, is that the way we think? Am I surrendered to the Father's will? Is what the decisions I make surrendered to how God would ask me to live or what he is calling me to do? John 6, 39 says, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. That is why Jesus was here, to do the will of him who sent me. We have to ask ourselves, is that in our heart? Is the way I make my career choices surrender to the will of him who sent me? Is the way I choose my dating life surrender to the will of him who sent me? Is how I spend my time, is how I spend my energy, is how I spend my money, is how I live my life and the values I carry is it submitted to the will of the God who created and designed me. Because friends, when we say I've surrendered myself to Christ, this is what that means. In all practicality, it's that moment of accepting that you're a sinner and that it's only by his name that you're redeemed, but then submitting your very life from that moment on to pursuing he who created you. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it that God's calling us to do? Well, one thing I know is that Christ loves the church. In fact, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, what part do I play in the bride of Christ? One of the things you got to ask yourself, maybe God's calling me to play a bigger part. I firmly believe there's people here sitting here that needs to take a step into some sort of leadership, that needs to take some sort of step, a faith step, and not let fear be the decision maker, but allow themselves to be used in a way that they didn't even know was possible. Maybe it's a matter, maybe what God's calling of you to do is just to step into serving, step into being a part of what you experience every Sunday. Maybe God's calling you to have a better radar for who your neighbors are and connecting with them on a personal level and, and investing in them. Maybe God's calling you to be irrationally generous. Maybe God's calling you to do something. But whatever he's calling you to do, is it a part of his kingdom? Is his kingdom come, his will be done, the driving force of how we live our lives? It's so easy to allow ourselves to be our God. It's so easy to allow ourselves to be the key decision-making factor. But what Jesus even shows us is that he is God and he's modeling, being submitted to the Father. And all that he does is to bring God glory. We have to ask ourselves this. What I love though is that even as Jesus is addressing these guys, the other disciples are listening in and they still don't get it. It says in verse 24, when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Let's pause. It, this reminds me so much of my kids. If I'm like, if I give my oldest son back, if I give him a cookie, like my youngest, Sam, with ears like a hawk, or I don't know, from upstairs, y'all hear, I want a cookie too! I'm like, how did you hear that? It's like that whole jealousy thing, right? Well, that's what they remind me of in this moment. They hear them saying, we wanna say that you're right and you're left, and all 10 of them are like, well, hold up. I wanna sit there too. Like, they're missing the point <laughs> entirely still, right? Because what they're thinking about and what they're focused on is praise, they're focused on influence. What they're focused on is power. And then once again, Jesus flips it on his head and he says he wants them to go low when they wanna go high. 
When they're wanting influence and power, he wants them humbled. He wants them to go low. You know, a couple years ago, there was a guy who used to attend our uh, Center City location. Uh, And this was a guy of influence. In fact, he was a world champion and all-star major league soccer player. He had played for big teams. He was actually born overseas and... uh, and overseas, he didn't know the Lord. He didn't grow up a Christian. He didn't grow up going to church. And he played soccer on the professional level for a while. Well, eventually he played for, for Kansas City. And after winning a championship with Kansas City and even being the, uh, the MVP of that game, he ended up experiencing a really low point in his life, a real difficult season. Well, in that difficult season is where God met him. And he ended up surrendering his life to Christ. And what's cool is that from that moment of surrender, his life changes. Not just his head or his heart, but he literally his behaviors change because his focus was now on surrender. And so he started serving. He started witnessing. He started giving. He started investing in the kingdom of God. And what happened was eventually he got traded from Kansas City to the Philadelphia Union. And it was while there that he started coming to our church in Center City. It was wild about his story to me is that, again, he has a lot of accolades. He's got trophies. He's got celebrity, right? He would literally be on TV playing soccer on Saturday night. But on Sunday, he was on the teardown team, sweating up a storm, putting away chairs. He was modeling what Jesus modeled for us. Even though he had reason to to expect, right? His mindset wasn't on himself. His mindset was on the kingdom. And even though he had earthly fame, he knew his focus was on the kingdom of God. And even he was willing to serve on the teardown team in Center City, moving tables, all for God's glory. And this is exactly what God is talking about. And when he says in verse 26, verse 26, he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And I gotta ask, are we coming to church to be served? Or are we coming to serve? Are we coming to see others come to know him? Are we coming to ourselves aligned with what God has called us to be? Now, let's not be triggered by that word slave real quick. Jesus is making a direct contrast in why he says this word. Because in the kingdom community, what we need to understand is that status, money, popularity, none of these are ever gonna be prerequisites for leadership. Those are earthly gauges. Humble service is the great prerequisite. Humility is that factor that leads to influence. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus models that. Because when we're humbled, it reveals that we have a heavenly perspective. Because if we have a heavenly perspective, we realize that we're sinners. And we realize that we're broken. And that apart from grace, we have no way of eternity. And that we're condemned. 
But because of grace, because of Jesus's price on the cross, because of what he paid with his blood, it's by his name that we're redeemed. So I know that I didn't earn this. I didn't earn God's love. He freely gave it to me. And if I have that posture, who can I, how can I think I'm above anything? How can I think I'm better than anyone? I'm a recipient of grace and that same grace that is available to everyone. Now, like he said, that word slave, we may not like that idea of being a slave for Christ, but here's the thing I want us to know. Apart from Christ, we're a slave to sin. Apart from Christ, we are a slave to sin. You see, being a Christ follower, it sounds like a lot, right? I'm surrendering all of me? I gotta surrender all of my stuff? Well, the contrary is to be a slave to the things of this world. Because I don't know if you know this, but like when we are living in sin, when we're pursuing vices, we are condemned to our own failures. I don't know about you, but I can't do enough good things to undo the bad things I've done. It doesn't matter how many good hours of community service, how good of a person I think I am, I'm aware of all the mistakes that I've made and they don't get undone. In fact, our world knows that. If you kill somebody today, but then you go give a lot of money and do a lot of charity the next day, you're still going to jail because there's consequences to your actions. And in the kingdom of God, Jesus pays the consequence of sin because scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so if we're surrendered to him, we find freedom. Otherwise, it's on our own heads. And I don't know about you, but I can't be perfect. I make mistakes every single day. And when we don't surrender our lives to him, we're doomed to continue this pattern. And we find ourselves slaves to things of this world, to behaviors, to, to thoughts, to, 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 to things that leave us unfulfilled. Because at the end of the day, God created us. So how do we find fulfillment? By living in the way he designed us, by living how he created us. So often we focus on the thing he created as our fulfillment instead of the one who created it. Every single person here has been designed and created by God for a purpose. You're not here by accident. There's no mistake in this room. There's also no mistake that you've made that God can't forgive. There's nobody here that's too messed up to be used by our God. And that's why surrender is so great because it's, taking, it's letting go of the reins of your life and saying, I can't do this on my own, but I know that you can make me brand new. And if we're saying that and we're saying, yes, Jesus, I give you my life, then all of us is surrendered to him. Our preferences, our goals, the very way we live our life. And when we look at Jesus, we see that the way he lived is through absolute humility. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, even though I am a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Philippians 2, seven through eight says, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. You see, when we've, got a kingdom perspective, our priorities shift. I've used this analogy before, but I just don't know how else to explain it. If we were on a ship that was sinking in a cage, if we were locked in a cage on a ship that was sinking, and then Jesus came, opened the door and let you out, your response is probably not gonna be, man, I'm good at walking through doors. I got out of that on my own. 
No, we're going to be going, thank you for opening the door. But then our mindset should also go, I got to tell everybody else in this cage that Jesus just opened the door and that there's a way out. We don't have to be doomed to the ways of this world. Christian, if, that, if we've given our lives to Christ, that's what's happened. He's given us a way out. We don't have to be doomed to the ways of this world anymore. And now we should feel compelled to share that with everyone. We should be compelled to live our whole life motivated, understanding that this life is temporary. We need to be thinking beyond this life and going, God, how can I give you glory in this window of time that you've given me on earth? How can I make an impact and steward what you've given me? My time, my talent, my treasure, all that I am. God, how can I use this for your glory? Because he created us. And even though we discredited ourselves, even though we made it to where we deserve separation from him, he made a way. And he didn't just bail us out, but he created opportunity for us to be a part of his redemption plan on earth. And so we have to ask ourselves, what do we need to do? What is God calling us to do? What do we need to realign? How do we need to refocus to where Jesus is on the throne of all of our life? Not just pockets, not just parts. And where we may find ourselves having some entitlement, reminding ourselves going, no, I don't deserve anything. I wanna do whatever Christ has called me to do because he was willing to do everything for me. Are you here to ask God for a favor? Or are you here to be a servant like Jesus? And being a servant like Jesus means saying, where you go, Jesus, I'll go. Who you love, I'll love. What you love, I love. What you serve, I serve. I make myself vulnerable, available, and intertwined with the kingdom of Jesus and his values. This is what surrender is. It's about aligning ourselves with our creator. And in that, there's freedom. And in that, our heart aligns with him and we can't help but serve and love others. Will you stand to your feet all over this room? Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Some of this might sound foreign if you haven't taken the first step, which is to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and your whole life you've been trying to find righteousness within yourself. Maybe you've been trying to be a good person. Maybe you've been just trying to do good things, but you find that over and over again, you still make mistakes. Or maybe you've been trying to find your fulfillment in people or in a job, and again, you find yourself feeling empty. And you know why? Because there's only one thing that can fill that void in your life, and his name is Jesus. He's the one who bridges the gap, and it's by his name that we're made new. So I'll tell you right now, there is no hope unless you've surrendered yourself to him. So if you're here today and you've not made that decision to follow Jesus, or maybe you did long ago and you know that right now it's time to realign. It's time to refocus. It's time to rededicate your life to him. If that's you all over this place, will you wave at me? I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for you. If now you're saying, yes, I wanna give my life to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, or maybe you're coming back home. If you're watching at home online, put a hand emoji in the chat. Let us know. We wanna pray for you. If that's you, just wave at me. Just wave at me. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for you. Well, church, I'm gonna pray for us and just pray that God seal this in our hearts. Father, I thank you for who you are. Thank you that you modeled for us the very thing you ask of us.
May we align with you and, and model the very behavior that you demonstrated. But Father, humble us to be willing to do whatever we need to do for your kingdom. May we not allow anything to sit on the throne of our lives other than you, Father. So I pray that you would reveal in us what steps do we need to take? What things do we need to lay down? What parts of our life do we need to realign? What, what new priorities do we need to add? And God, I pray you give each and every one of us that clarity so that every single day, each of us would take a step closer to being all it is you've called us to be. Because God, you designed us. You created us for a purpose. And Father, as your church, we want to live in the fullness of that purpose. Father, we love you. We thank you that your grace is available. Thank you that you make us brand new. So we re-give our lives to you. We take up our cross daily. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us all that we need to do to walk in the fullness of how you create us to be. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for new life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that today? Come on, let's give God some praise today. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.